Well, it may look to you like I am one person, but I am more than one person. Uh, I, I bring with you the, the affection of the people of Kishwaukee Bible Church. You know, maybe you can, you can get a feel for what, what that's like because uh, if you have family members or very, very close friends who live in another part of the country that you see once a year, uh, anybody have somebody like that? You have family you only see, friend, yeah. And yet, when you get together with them, it's um, it's such a joy to you. It's almost like you haven't been apart, and you catch up on the things that have been going on in each other's lives that you can only find out by being there. You see the things that that you can only see, not by even a phone conversation, but as you get there and you. And you see with your own eyes the changes they have made, the changes God has made in their lives. Well, that's a little bit like what I feel like this morning, that, that, uh, that I bring the affection uh, of the people of Kishwaukee Bible Church. Uh, we're a little bit bigger than you are, not much. Those of you who've been to Kishwaukee Bible Church... Uh, Recently, in a few weeks, uh, every now and again, when everybody comes on the same Sunday, not often enough, but when they do, we have people sitting up both stairways going up to the balcony. So those of you who've been there, you can envision that, that people are sitting on the main floor, people are sitting in the balcony, and they're sitting on the steps going up to the balcony. So soon... We're going to have to go to two, two services. We don't want to do that. We don't like doing that, but we're going to do that probably very soon. In fact, there would probably be some ways in which you have more room than we do. There may come a time when, when the next step for you will be those tables that you enjoy are going to go. Won't that be great? When you'll have to put tables in, cha- in place of those chairs and rejoice, excuse me, chairs in place of those tables, and rejoice in doing so because God has brought more people and caused those that are His to fellowship with this local body of believers. So that's our, that's our joy too, and we're looking forward to that. Our annual meeting is in two weeks from today, and uh, Super Bowl Sunday. The world doesn't know it's because of our annual meeting. They think it's something else. But anyway, okay, well, this morning I want us to be thinking about, and obviously, you know, I can't preach every verse uh, in this chapter, but I am going to focus our attention on the subject of worship this morning, uh, particularly the subject of family worship this morning. Even as I read this chapter to you already, uh, we, we begin to see right in the first verse, if then you've been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is. We, we, we're encouraged to keep our eyes on Him, to worship Him. In this, in this chapter, we see the participants of family worship. Look, at, look there in verse 18. We just see them listed in an admonition, and we'll come back to this near the end of the message this morning. Wives, husbands, children, fathers, slaves. And so there's the, there's the participants in family worship. But there's an unexpected guest in family worship. 
here in the church at Colossae and in every family. We see that unexpected guest in verse 13 where we're admonished to bear with one another and forgive each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone. There's the unexpected, uninvited guest in every family. Complaints against one another. And and they'll take us by surprise. We want our thinking to be this morning about how to deal with that unexpected guest. So the outline of the message this morning for adults is... Christ is the mindset of family worship, or if you have the children's outline, they've really got the good stuff. Okay, we want to think right about family worship. The second point will be Christ is the model of family worship. The children's outline says we want to dress right for family worship. And the third point is that Christ is the measure for family worship. And on the children's outline, it says we want to do right in family worship. Well, that's where we're headed this morning. The aim of this, I believe, this this chapter, and certainly the aim and the message this morning is verse 17, that we would do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Well, everybody here would agree with that. Nobody would stand up and say, nope, not not here at Rock Valley Bible Church. We're not going to do that. No, we would all assent. We would all agree. Do all. You got up this morning. You got up out of bed. And we get up and begin our day in the name of Jesus Christ. Doing all in His name. Even as we begin the day. Some of us, we began the day a little differently. We had a shovel in our hands in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We may have had something to eat or drink this morning in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have driven here with our families. We pray in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We've interacted with each other already in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And tonight, at the end of this day, we will lay our heads on the pillow in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And even now, we come to hear His Word preached. And we want to do right now. We want to do this in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's pray. Father, we ask You this morning, again, to be powerful in our presence to take your word and penetrate hearts that have resisted your penetration before, hearts that have been hard, also hearts that are tender and open and ready to hear. Father, move freely among us, move powerfully among us, and accomplish all your good pleasure. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Well, the mindset of of family worship is is in a couple of is is expressed in a couple of these phrases right there in the first three verses. If you've been raised up with Christ, if you're His, don't stop. Keep seeking 
the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Now, the things, the first, if you're thinking, if you're interacting with me, you ought to be thinking, what are those things above? Okay, hang on. That's point two. Okay, we'll talk about those coming in point two. So just, just kind of hang on for that a little bit. Keep, we want to focus on, on, on just the admonition. Keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. I, I really want you to leave this place with that picture in your mind. Because if we're going to think right about family worship, whether it's here as the family of families who have gathered, or whether it's in your home as you gather your family, as your family lives in relation to one another, that this picture of, of keeping of keeping our of keep seek, keeping seeking the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God, that you'll see the throne room of God will come to your mind. You say family worship is based upon our keeping keep seeking all that is ours from God through Christ, and he's seated at the right hand of the Father. That's a a place of great power and authority. But it's what you have to ask yourself the question, what is he doing there? What is Jesus doing at the right hand of the Father? Well, what is he doing? He's interceding for us. He's praying for us. He's at the right hand of the Father praying for us. Now, you know what? Many times you might call somebody on the phone and say, will you pray for me? Good thing to do. But even before you do that, would you, would you from now on, would you keep seeking the things above where Christ is and make, make your first realization that Jesus Christ is at the right hand of the Father praying for you right now? Then, right at that moment, it's a, a, he's in a position of great power and, he is, and he's praying for us. God's love for us through him translates into prayer from our Savior to the Father for us. We want that to pervade our thinking and our entire life of worship, especially worship in our families. And then he says, set your mind on the things above. And so we don't miss it, not on the things of earth. For your life is hidden with Christ in God. Here's another picture I want you to get. This picture of of why we should set our minds on the things above because of the relationship we have with him for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God what is he talking about he's talking about this when Christ died every child of God died with him and our and we were raised with him and we walk in newness of life with him and then Paul, in writing to this local church, says, For your life is hidden with Christ in God. Get this picture. Let's imagine that this is you. Your life is hidden. And let's remember, let's imagine that my right hand is Christ. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. Keep 
seeking the things above. Set your mind on the things above because your life, you have died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Now think about what the impact of that as a constant point of focus for your life every day would do. What if you could walk around with, 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 your, with your mind set on that truth that you have died in Christ and that your life is now hidden with Christ in God? I've watched some of the prayer requests that come from uh, Rock Valley Bible Church. I see them come on my email. And I think of some of you who I know. And I, and I think, wow, God, help them to remember that they have died and their life is hidden with Christ in God. And as they deal with that problem, as they respond to that situation, as family worship goes on in their home and among their family and friends, may their heart be guided and guarded by that truth that they have died. And they're now in Christ Jesus. And their life is hidden with Christ in God. Two pictures in this first point. The throne room of heaven, Christ at the right hand, praying for you. It's got to be the focus of our worship together, of our worship life together. And and our seeking of him because we are his and, his, and our life is hidden with Christ in God. Now, just think about that. The implications of that are vast and great. Because if he kept that promise to send one who would redeem and save, then every other promise in the book is true and fulfilled in him. In the keeping of that promise. If he sent his son to die, in our place, to take our, to take our place, then every promise, the promises you love, think of one. Think of one of the uh, promises in the scriptures that you run to in the midst of the problems of your life, the situations in your life. That promise is true because the promise of a, of a redeemer who would come and save has been kept. And this picture of our life hidden with him says every promise in the scriptures, is true and and is ours. And we can cling. In fact, that's the message of Paul in Romans 8 and verse 32. He says, if Christ, if God did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us most things? All things that we need. It's the basis of the fulfillment of that promise that says every promise will be fulfilled. Whether you can see it happening or not, we walk by faith in that promise. That's the mindset of family worship. That's thinking right about family worship. Dear ones, dear ones, you could read the Bible and not set your mind on Christ. You could even come and utter some prayer. People do it all the time. Pray some prayer without setting your mind on Christ and, his, and what he has done for you. The mindset of family worship, thinking right about family, family worship, raises our gaze to our Savior, where he is, what he's doing, who we are in him. And as we respond to each other in light of that, 
worship takes place in our own hearts and in every relationship within our family. Second point, Christ is the model of family worship. He is, he is dressing right for family worship. Oh, just think about that. How many of you thought, let's see, need to wear a tie. Some of you didn't. Does that mean you're not dressed right for family worship? Nope, does it? The absence of a tie or the presence of a tie is not right dress for family worship, right? But there is something that is. There is a way in which we must dress. There is, a, there are, there is clothing, spiritual clothing that must be ours for family worship. Christ himself is a model that reminds us who we are. Look at verse 12. And so, as those who have been chosen of God, we've been reminded of that already this morning, we in, we in Christ Jesus, God chose us before the foundation of the world in Christ Jesus to be His very own. We are chosen. We are... holy. We have been clothed with the righteousness of God. Christ. We are beloved of God in Christ Jesus. This, this, this model of Christ, this work of Christ is that which reminds us who we are in Him. Chosen, holy, beloved. It also reminds us what we can do because we are in Him. You know, uh, I, was, I was, uh, had my mind drawn back earlier this morning again, to uh, a time when Jesus, in interacting with his disciples, sent them out onto the Sea of Galilee in a boat and didn't go with them. And a great storm came up. And as that storm is, is about to flood their boat, Jesus comes walking on the water. And most of the disciples... Are, are fearful. They think this is a ghost. Peter says, might be the Lord. Lord, if it's you, bid me come to you. Jesus said, come. Peter, without any other recorded thought, steps out of the boat, walks on the water. And he's fine. Until what? Until he takes his eyes off of Jesus. And then what happens? He starts going down. A unique kind of sinking, I think. You know, I'm a rock. You know, somehow he was going down. And he looks back and he cries out, Jesus, save me. And Jesus' arm stretches out, grabs him by the arm, and draws him to him. And they go to the boat and everybody worships. Jesus walks in the water and he enables Peter to walk on the water. Now, dear ones, in principle, that's exactly what we're talking about. What Jesus does and calls us to do, he enables us to do. How many of you have walked on water? Okay, so we're, we may not be talking about walking on water, but he hasn't, he hasn't said to you, come walk on the water, right? But he said things that are just as difficult. Forgive one another. 
What He calls us to do, He will enable us to do. Bear with one another, even in the midst of complaints against one another. What He calls us to do, He will enable us to do. This dress, this right dress for family worship is, is enumerated for us. And we're going to take just a few minutes to walk through them. He says, because of who you are, chosen, holy, beloved of God, put on. Put on. Even in the midst of complaints against each other, put on this, this wardrobe. You know, I, this, this, um, this picture struck came home to me again. My youngest son, Matthew, uh, teaches in a Christian school on the south side of Chicago. He comes home most weekends because the girl, he is the lady he's engaged to now to be married, goes to Kishwaukee Bible Church. So we see him amazingly every Saturday. You know? And so I've said to Matthew, I've said to all my kids, look, what I have is yours. Matthew takes that literally. So he goes into my closet. And uh, he's there on Saturday. He forgot to bring exactly what the roar robe. We were about the same size. That's not all good. But he goes into my closet and he looks and he says, Oh, this shirt looks great. And next thing I know, I see Matthew walking around in my shirt. Well, he has just taken what I said. Everything I have is yours. And he's just gone into my closet. He said, My dad would want me to use this. I need it. And he clothes himself with it. And so when I see him, I say, is that mine? Yeah, it is, Dad. But you said, and it's true. It's true. Uh, He believes it, and he puts it on. Guys, that's the picture. He has, put, he has put all the character of God, the righteousness of Christ in our closet. And then he says, it's all yours. Go put it on. And if you believe it, you'll go into that closet when you need it in the midst of complaints. And you'll put on things like a heart of compassion. You know, in other words, for us to think rightly about this, maybe we need to think about the last time there was a complaint. Children, think with me a minute. Do you ever have a complaint against other brothers or sisters? They've taken something. They haven't taken something. They've broken something. They, whatever, you have a complaint. In the midst of that, he says, go to the closet of Jesus Christ. There's a wardrobe there for you. There's a garment there for you. There's the compassion of Christ there for you. Now, I don't have time to go to these passages, but I want you to write them down. This would be good material for family worship. Matthew chapter 20, verses 29 to 34. The situation is this. There's a, there's a great crowd following Jesus from Jericho. And as they're moving along, two blind men are sitting along the side of the road and they hear that Jesus is coming. And so they cry out, Jesus, be merciful to us. The crowd says, I love this. Parents, you'll love it too. They, the crowd doesn't, isn't recorded as saying, shut up. 
right? Those are off-base words in your house, right? Be quiet. <laughs> Be quiet, the crowd. The crowd said to them, Be quiet. We don't care what your need is. Be quiet. They cry out all the more. Jesus, be merciful to us. He stops. He goes over to where they are. And he says, what do you want from me? What do you want me to do for you? Heal our eyes. Give us our sight. And here's what it says. The Lord was moved with compassion. And Jesus touched their eyes and immediately they regained their sight and followed him. No condemnation from Jesus, unlike the crowd. No be quiet from Jesus, unlike the crowd. A heart of compassion for the need that only he could meet. And then we hear the apostle write, inspired by the the Spirit of God, put on a heart of compassion. Maybe when everybody else in the family is saying, be quiet, somebody in your family needs to put on the garment of compassion so that when they hear what the need is, they'll be more concerned about meeting that need than of just telling them to be quiet. Put on a heart of compassion. Put, it's a, it turns out that this heart of compassion is a willingness to touch with mercy and compassion, even in the midst of a complaint against that very person. That's family worship. Is that what characterizes you? Next thing he says, go, go to the closet of Jesus Christ and put on the garment of kindness. Parents, write this down. Titus 3, 3 through 6. Titus 3, 3 to 6. He reminds us uh, in verse 3 who we were. You were once foolish. We were disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. Now listen to these words. But when the kindness of God our Savior and His love for mankind appeared, He saved us not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, he has saved us. You see, this garment that we're called to put on is kindness, a willingness to extend kindness, acts of mercy in the midst of complaints against them. Why? Because that is the way our Savior has dealt with us. Who were you? What had you been doing? How hard was your heart? And when, and when the saving love of God and His mercy for sinners in, in Christ came, on what basis did He save you? On the basis of things that you have done or not done? No. It's much better than that. He just was merciful, covering with, his, with the blood of His Son every sin, every sin so that there is no anger of God to be poured out on His people today. Only mercy. Can you say amen? Go to the closet of Jesus Christ and put on the garment of kindness in the midst of complaints. Humility. We hear, again, Paul and Philippians say, have this attitude, which was also in Christ Jesus. 
He emptied himself. He took the form of a bondservant. And being found in that form as a bondservant, as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Go to the... Go to the closet of Jesus Christ and put on the garment of humility, a willingness to serve humbly in the midst of complaints against the very person that you're called to give, give humble service and to, be, and, and to have a heart of humility in relation to them. You see, we have everything in Christ. Christ is all and in all. And yet he says, we hear the apostle say, Go and put it on. And just like my son, who believes the message, everything my dad has is mine. And when he needs it, he'll go get it and put it on. That's the heart that that we hear. Now we hear again, gentleness and patience. Put on gentleness and patience. We hear Jesus in Matthew 11, verse 29. Say... Come, all of you who are weary and heavy laden. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest to your souls. And then we see that, that, that promise, that great promise of finding rest from our work in His work lived out on the cross. And the night before the cross, in a garden, in Gethsemane, we hear that Jesus crying out, Father, not my will, but yours be done. And then on that cross, even while he was being reviled, he did not revile in return. There were complaints against us, were there not? Were there not complaints from God against us? How did Jesus respond to those complaints against us? By taking those complaints upon himself. He kept entrusting himself to God the Father, to the one who judges righteously, and he bore our sins in his body on the cross. And then he says, now... Go into my closet and take a heart, the the garment of gentleness and patience in relation to those you have a complaint against. And if you do, you put it on and you respond to them with that garment on. That's family worship. And then he says, and beyond all these things, In the midst of complaints, put on the love of Christ. He describes it as the perfect bond of unity because on that day, on the cross, when the work was done, something happened in the temple. Something, the the curtain between the people and the Holy of Holies was torn in two. And, and, the, and, the, and the divisions between Jew and Greek were, t- were taken away and they all became one. They all went to the same place. They all became one in the love of Christ. The perfect 
bond of unity for hard-hearted sinners. Do hard-hearted sinners live in your house? They do in mine. They do in mine. And we go to the closet of our Savior and we put on the love of Christ, the perfect bond of oneness. Parents, think about this. What are the implications for you in your parenting when your children have failed to put on that garment? Well, we know there's two things that have to happen. There's discipline that has to happen and there's instruction that has to happen. Discipline without anger in the midst of complaints against your children. You may have to go to the closet of Jesus Christ as a parent to find that gar- those garments that are necessary to discipline your children in a way that shows that you love them and in a way that's obedient. Put on peace, the peace of Christ, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Jesus' death on that cross has brought peace with God. Are you still fighting? Are you still fighting? What, you, know, you know where the fights will come? Where the complaints are. Do husbands in this room have complaints against their wives? Do wives in this room have complaints against their husband? They're well covered right now. You look good. You look good. But those complaints are there, aren't they? And how are you going to respond to those? Well, the first room you go to is the closet of our Savior to get the garments that you need to put on. And he has said, what I have is yours. Come and get it. And put on the word of Christ. The message about Christ. Let the, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your heart to the Lord. Picture this. Picture this. In the midst of complaints against one another in your family, that the word of Christ, the message of undeserved love and mercy for sinners in Christ, begins to, to be given away there. And, and, and the message of Christ, let it dwell within you, singing with singing the message of undeserved mercy. You might sing this one. This is one of my favorite hymns, In Christ Alone. You sing it here? In Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm. What heights of love, what depths of peace. When fears are stilled, when strivings cease. My comforter, my all in all. Here, in the love of Christ, I stand. We hear in verse 17, Paul say, Whatever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God through Him. All right, what's the measure? How do you do right in family worship? This may be the hardest part. How are we doing? All right. I can get done. How about that? Christ is the measure. What I mean by that is this. 
that he is the one who assigns the territory in which family worship will take place in every family. And it's not the one that you would choose for yourself. He is the one who, who, who tells each member in the family where family worship will take place for them and what it's going to look like. And I would never do this. This isn't politically correct. This isn't gender correct. I would never do this, but he did. Where did he start? Who did he name first in the family? Who's the first on the list? Uh, Say that again. Wives, say that again. Wives. A man wrote this. (laughs) Except he wasn't a man, was he? He was moved by the Spirit of God. And for some reason, he starts with wives and he says, Wives, in the midst of complaints in your family, be subject to your husband's as is fitting in the Lord. As is fitting in the Lord. See, if you stop after be subject to your husbands, it's over. Be subject to your husbands as you are to the Lord, as is fitting in your relationship with the Lord. You see, why is it that you're willing to submit to the Lord? Because of how merciful he's been to you. So if you're going to fulfill your place in the assigned territory of family worship in your house, it's more than just prayer. It's more than Bible study. It's going to include those things. But it's going to be a wife who goes to the closet of Jesus Christ and finds there, puts on the garments there of compassion for her husband against whom she has a complaint right at the moment. Don't, wives, don't you wish that, that God had said, do this, but if he's ever wrong, if you think he's wrong, then you, all, you don't have to do this anymore. Then you can take over because it's clear what has to be done, right? No, that's where family worship begins. That's where the trip to the closet has to take place because you don't possess in your flesh the ability to pull that one off. Husbands, in the midst of complaints, love your wives sacrificially as Christ loved the church. And do not respond in kind. Don't be embittered in the midst of complaints against them. You've got to make that trip to the closet, don't you? It needs to be a well-worn path, doesn't it, husbands? In Ephesians, Paul writes the same admonition. He says, husbands, in the midst of complaints, love your wives as Christ loved the church. In the midst of complaints against them, going to the cross. Children, in the midst of complaints, be obedient to your parents in all things. Because that's well-pleasing. Now, children, you've got to know where the closet of Jesus Christ is. You've got to go to the closet of Jesus Christ. You've got to find the love of God in Christ. You have to find the peace of Christ, the compassion of Christ, the humility to to submit to them in the midst of complaints. When they don't, when you think they don't understand, 
Fathers, in the midst of complaints, don't exasperate your children. Rather, bring them up in the discipline without anger of the Lord and the instruction of the Lord. Employees, in the midst of complaints, in all things, obey your masters, fearing the Lord. You see the connection with, with, with the Lord, with our Savior in every case? God does not intend for us to conduct family worship in our homes apart from our Savior. He is all and in all. We want to do all in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, each one of these things is humanly impossible to carry out. It's humanly impossible. And they require, and with this I'm going to close, three things. Three things are required. We do need to read the Word of God. Why? Because it's in the Word that is God's that we know that it's God's provision for setting our minds on our Savior and on the things above. If we close this book and set it aside and it becomes an, an infrequent part of our lives in our families then we we are setting aside the very thing that God intends to use to set our minds on the things above, to set our minds on our Savior, to remind us of how much He has loved us. So that's the first thing. We've got to read. It's It's God's provision for setting our minds on the things above, for setting our minds on Christ and God's love for us in Him. Second thing is we need dependent prayer. It's as if dependent prayer is the key to the closet of Jesus Christ, to the garments we need. We need to get down on our knees before we do anything else in the midst of a complaint and cry out to God, God, I need a heart of compassion here. And I don't have it in my flesh. Give me what I need. Dependent prayer. Going that trip to the closet in prayer to get what you need is the key to that closet. Are you a man, a woman, a child of prayer? You know where what you need is found. Do you hear him say, everything I have is yours? Come. Come to the closet. Take it out. Put it on. Thirdly, you need an emergency plan for dealing with complaints. If you've got the kids' notes, I drew you a picture of that. Okay? You need an emergency plan for dealing with complaints. The first thing you do when you sense a complaint in your heart against somebody else in the family somebody else at work, somebody else in in whatever relationship you're in, is you've got to make a trip to the cross. You've got to make a, a quick trip to the cross. And you've got to remember there, at the foot of the cross, why he is there. Why is he there? What has been placed on him? And then, having remembered that it's your sin placed on him, 
to give you what you didn't deserve, it's then that you proceed from the cross to interact with that person, giving them what you have received from his hand. If you go around the cross, if you bypass the cross, they'll get your flesh. They'll get the sinful response of your complaint against them without any consideration of God's mercy and grace that you have been the recipient of. Wouldn't it be great if family worship would be characterized by each one of us in the midst of complaints getting to the cross, remembering again what we've received, and then in response, right there in the midst of the complaint, to get to bear with them, to forgive them, as, as God has forgiven us. See, that's family worship. That's a life of family worship. Family worship where you gather to read, that's vital. Family worship where you gather to, to pray, that's vital. Learning to deal with the complaints, that's vital. It's all that that's going to enable us in Christ to live a life of family worship. Can you say amen? Let's pray. Father, a simple prayer. Thank you for all that you have done for us, for the way you have lavished your love on us in Christ Jesus. Help us. Help us remember all that you have done. Help us read so that we recall How gracious and merciful. Help us to cry out. Help us to turn the key to the closet and put on the garments of our Savior so that family worship will be the result in every relationship. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.